Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. Welcome to those of you who are here in person with, about, with us, to those of you online. It's so good to see you here this morning. My name is Jessica Stafford. I'm the director of children's ministry here. And this week, Dale has been in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary. He's been doing some preaching, connecting with faculty and students. And this weekend, he finally gets a chance to hopefully relax, spend some time with Beth and with their daughter Haley and her husband Brandon. So I get to be here with you this morning, and I'm very excited about it. So before we jump in, I wanted to just make sure you all kind of know what's going on in the world, and you know what holiday is coming up this weekend? Yes, anybody? Halloween, you passed hundreds of pumpkins coming in this morning. Okay, good thing I checked. Goodness. Is there anyone here who really loves Halloween? Okay, a few of you. You know, I have to confess that it's never been my favorite holiday. Even as a kid, I was always the boring things, like I dressed up as a teacher or a bride or just wore an old dance costume. Although there was one year I dressed up as a Coke float. Yes, you heard that right. I actually think I have a picture to share with you. Yeah, middle school glory, the braces. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. But look, I even have the trademark, the detail. So, okay, that can go away. But I don't know about you guys. In our neighborhood, our neighbors seem to be taking Halloween really seriously this year. We have, like, giant spider webs that span from palm tree to ground. We have ghouls hanging. We have pumpkin trees, like it is way more intense than I usually remember it being. Maybe it's just that we all are looking for some normalcy, something to grab onto. But I was walking with my kids to the park the other day, and we noticed a couple of neighbors had those fake tombstones in their yard, right? And then we were talking about Haunted Mansion at Disney with all those little funny tombstones they have. I think my favorite there is, Dear Departed Brother Dave, He Chased a Bear Into a Cave. But I was thinking about those, and then I was online, and I saw some real tombstones with some funny epitaphs. So, you know, it's almost Halloween, so I wanted to share a couple of these with you. So these are real tombstones, raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and still there was love. (laughs) And then we have this really humble one. I was hoping for a pyramid. Sorry, buddy. Merv Griffin, who's, of course, a famous talk show host, I will not be right back after this message. (laughs) And then we have Mel Blanc, who was the voice of many of the Looney Tunes characters, Bugs Bunny. That's all, folks. (laughs) And finally, my favorite, most passive-aggressive one. I told you I was sick. (laughs) So those just gave me a laugh, but it also made me think on a serious note. You know, we all know our lives will end at some point, right? And we probably all want to be remembered for a little more than we saw on those tombstones. So Trevor and I were talking about this message as we were prepping for it, and of all things, we started talking about grammar. I know, it's kind of weird. But we were talking about how we know the nouns we'll be remembered for, right? We all know, you know, mother or sister or father or son or friend or teacher, whatever those nouns are. They're kind of given to us, but it's the adjectives that we need to work towards, 
right? We want to be remembered as a loyal friend or a loving mother or a generous brother, whatever that adjective is. And Trevor and I were kind of talking about how we wanted to think about what are the adjectives that people will say of us, and then even what are those adjectives that God will say of us? What will he say to me the first time I get to meet him? Um, I don't know if any of you ever watched the show Inside the Actors Studio, James Lipton. So this was a show on Bravo for 25 years. He interviewed tons of just famous actors and actresses. And with every person he interviewed, he would ask them a series of questions at the end of the interview, the same questions to every person. But the very last question he always asked was, if heaven exists, what would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? So here's a few. Robert Downey Jr. says, boy, did I have a ball with you. Bradley Cooper says, hey, you hungry? And then Amy Poehler came prepared with two answers because she knew this was coming. She said, come on in, or see, your mother was right. So I was just thinking about, what is it that I want God to say? And around church, we're familiar with this phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? If you've been around church for any amount of time, this is kind of the phrase we all want to hear from God when we meet him face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant. But, you know, if, even if you're not a faith person, if you're not yet sure about this Jesus guy or you're just starting out, I'd venture to say that we all want to be remembered well. We all want to leave a legacy that is worth the life we've lived here. So we've been in this series called Come Alive over the past several weeks. And through it, we've been talking about what it takes to experience true transformation in your life and in your relationship with Christ. So this is the fifth week of that series, and we've been using two core beliefs. One, you'll never fully live into who you were created to be outside of a relationship with God. And second, that your emotional well-being and your life with God are completely interconnected. So over the past several weeks, Pastor Dale and Trevor have been talking about knowing yourself, becoming yourself, navigating your past, navigating your future. And today we're going to talk about finishing well. And in order to do that, we're going to use a passage of scripture from 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy is a book in the New Testament. It was a letter written by Paul, and Paul was one of the most influential leaders of the early Christian church. He wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. This particular letter, 2 Timothy, was written to Timothy, who is his protege and a close friend, and it was probably one of the last letters Paul ever wrote. So basically, he knows that he's at the end of his life, and this is his last chance to impart any wisdom to his dear friend Timothy. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 begins, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. So he means my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So today the title of our message is Start at the Finish Line. Let's pray together. Father God, we know that you were in this place waiting for us before we arrived and that you knew every person who would be hearing this message. 
So Lord, I pray now that you would help us put aside anything that may be distracted, distracting us and help us focus completely on you. Let us hear the word you have for us today. And Lord, may the words I speak be not mine, but yours. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So a little more about those couple of verses we just read from Paul. Many Christians consider this to be Paul's valedictory or his farewell address. He's at the end of his life. He finished it well. And we do know a lot about Paul's life because much of it is documented in the book of Acts, and then he wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. So we can see from his example that he did do the things he said. He did run the race. He did fight the good fight. He did keep the faith, and he sets an example for us. You know, many times in his letters, like to the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, he says some version of this. He tells his people, his people in his church, he says, imitate me then as I imitate Christ. So today we are going to look at Paul's life and we are going to see how we can imitate him in order to finish well. So we'll be starting at Paul's finish line and looking at how that applies to us right now. So one of the first things that Paul had to do and that we need to do well as well is to decide. There are two things we need to decide. First, we need to decide which race we are going to run, and then we need to decide what it would look like to finish that race well. I don't know about you, but I feel the tug of culture to go faster, to do things more hurried, to be in the race for success, the race for money, the race for fitness, the race for social media followers, all the things. We get pulled into all these races and are told faster, faster, more and more. But the truth is, there's only one race that we can run without losing ourselves and our souls. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders as he's getting ready to leave for Jerusalem. And he says this in chapter 20, verse 24. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul uses this race metaphor in many of his writings that we see in the New Testament, which shows us that it was often in his mind, that he thought about this a lot. And we can see in that verse that he says, my only aim is to finish the race. We too need to decide that our only aim is going to be the eternal race, that that is where we will be single-mindedly focused on the finish line, which is Jesus, and not on the people running beside us or on what the world tells us is important. Then we also need to decide what it actually looks like to finish that race well. Stephen Covey, who's the author of a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, we talk about him often here, he suggests everyone do what he calls a funeral exercise. Sounds cheery, right? (laughs) But what he suggests is that you take some time off on your own, set aside a couple of hours, and think about that moment of your life. Think about who's there, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, And think about what you want them to say of you. Even write those things down. Take the time to do this and then work backwards to today and say, am I doing the things now that would lead to people saying at the end what I want them to say? So we're deciding which race we run, how it's going to look like when we finish it, deciding that. 
And then the second thing Paul wants us to do is to fight. So Paul loves these athletic metaphors, right? He talks about running races. He's talking about fighting. He often talks about training. And I'm sure if Trevor was here, there'd be some good fighting and wrestling joke. So you can just imagine that right there in that spot. (laughs) But Paul says in verse 7 of the text we read earlier that I have fought the good fight. Again, we see him say this in his first letter to Timothy when he tells him specifically, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. In his letter to the Ephesians, he talks about the armor of God. He goes through each piece of armor that we need to put on in order to fight. And he talks about a wrestling against spiritual forces of evil. So Paul knew we're not just going to happen into a life of faith. We have to fight for it. It's not just going to fall into our laps, although that would sure be nice, wouldn't it? So how do we do that? Well, it's simple. It's not exciting or flashy or some big groundbreaking thing. It really all comes down to your daily habits. So here's some interesting research that's come out on habits lately. A study from Duke University found that as much as 40% of the actions we take every day are not the products of choices, but of habits. The study goes on to explain that this shows that much of what is fundamentally shaping our existence is happening unconsciously. So some of us on staff have been reading a book called The Common Rule, and it really dives into these habits. And the author talks about kind of the dangers of ignoring these habits. And he says this. He says, we have a common problem. By ignoring the ways habits shape us, we've assimilated to a hidden rule of life the American rule of life. This rigorous program of habits forms us in all the anxiety, depression, consumerism, injustice, and vanity that are so typical in the contemporary American life. He says it's urgent then that we recover the wisdom of crafting a gospel-based rule of life as the new norm for living as a Christian in America today. And he says we desperately need a set of counterformative practices to become the lovers of God and neighbor we were created to be. And don't we all want to be that? The lovers of God and neighbor we were created to be? So it's these daily moments that will draw us nearer or farther from God This is where we fight for our faith. You know, we never expect to just get into shape without work, right? We know we need to do the meal plans, the careful shopping, the exercising, all of that in order to reach the result we want. We know that if we want to change something, you have to do something differently. Wasn't it um, Einstein who said doing insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results? So I think we've gotten some practice in this in the year of 2020. We've all learned to do things differently, right? We learned different ways of grocery shopping, different ways of going up and down the aisles at the grocery store, different ways of working, of doing school. We've all done things differently. And I know on top of those sorts of differences in the global pandemic, a lot of us have also had different and difficult personal circumstances, I've shared with you all before that I lost my mom earlier this summer, and in those kind of last weeks and then the days and weeks and months since, I found that I needed a different way to relate to God. It wasn't that he'd left me, but I kind of needed to relearn who he was, and I needed to pick up different things that would help me fight for my faith. 
So I picked up some books about habits and practices in daily life, tried to slow down my pace, start some habits into others, and I found two things that really worked for me. And I want to share them with you, but first I want to say to you that this is not prescriptive, right? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm sharing with you what works for me, and maybe one of them will help you, and maybe neither of them will, but you need to find the practices that work for you also. So the first thing that I try to do is God first. And I mean that quite literally, not like the big God first in my life, God first in my decisions, but literally when I wake up, God first. Because before this, when I woke up, the first thing I did was roll over and reach for my phone, which maybe some of you do here too. And shockingly, I found that scrolling and checking email and looking at things was not actually setting my day off on the tone I wanted it to, to, to start off on. And it also was not drawing me any closer to God. So I started trying to do God first. And some days, when the alarm goes off and the kids actually sleep in, that means I get to journal and read our Bible reading plan and actually spend, you know, 30 minutes with God. And other days, it means that I'm just praying a quick prayer, God, let me see you working today before we run into getting breakfast and kids ready for school. Maybe it's a worship song. But whatever it is, 30 seconds or 30 minutes, I'm trying to just do God first before anything else. The second habit that has been really helpful for me is called the one-minute pause. And it's as simple as it sounds. So I read this book by John Eldridge called Get Your Life Back, and it was excellent. I would highly recommend it. It's, as you can see, everyday practices, and so it's all these things that can help us grow closer to God. But one of the main ones he carries through the whole book is the one-minute pause. And I was kind of skeptical at first, because literally he says, just take 60 seconds, put your timer on your phone, or use his pause app, which is helpful, and you just pause for 60 seconds before you walk into work or when you get home before you enter your home or in the middle of your day when you're taking a break between phone calls, whatever it is, just pause and just be in God's presence. Not trying to solve anything, not trying to ask for anything, but just stopping and breathing and being with him. Here's what Eldridge says about this. He says, I've seized the one-minute pause as my sword against the madness. It sounds almost too simple to be a practice that brings me more of God, but it's very effective because what it does is open up soul space, breathing room, and God is right there. Over time, the cumulative effect is even better. It's reshaping the pace of my day. It's training my soul to find God as an experience more common than rare. I needed more of God in my life, and this one-minute pause has become a fighting tool for me to do that. You know, these daily habits change the trajectory of our lives. Paul himself tells us in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this week I challenge you to try and look at all these habits in your life, even the ones that you're not conscious of necessarily, and think, are they moving you towards conforming to the pattern of this world? Or they transform you in the renewing of your mind. And think about maybe what's one thing you can add in. Is it quite simply the scripture before a phone? 
Is it jotting down some things you're grateful for? Is it reading a devotional with your kids? What's one habit you can add into your life to fight for your faith and not to drift away? So we've learned that we need to decide. We need to fight. And the third thing we want to talk about is that we need to endure. Now, if anyone knew anything about enduring, it was our buddy Paul. (laughs) He had quite the life. In 2 Corinthians, he takes some time to explain and list all of what he has had to put up with in his journeys throughout his life. I'm not going to read all to you, but let me just list some of the things he's endured. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to check it out later. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, from Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, in danger from false believers. He says, I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and gone without food. (laughs) So he knew just a little bit, I think, about enduring difficult circumstances. You know, whenever we talk about endurance, what always comes to my mind is marathons, right? Marathons, 26.2 miles that people run for fun. I kind of consider myself a runner. I've done a half marathon once, and I think that's about as far as I go. But we think about these marathons, people who have to have endurance. But have you all heard of ultra marathons? Okay, an ultra marathon is technically just anything longer than 26.2 miles, but... I was curious, and I looked online for a list of the world's most difficult ultramarathons. Okay, I have two options for you. Number one, 135 miles across Death Valley in July. Oh, it also crosses three mountain ranges for a total of 14,600 feet of cumulative vertical ascent and 6,100 feet of cumulative descent. Okay, if that one sounds a little too warm for you, here's another option. Uh, 350 miles across the Arctic Circle. Good, better. Oh, you have to pull your supplies in a sled behind you, though, and the temperatures are below zero and the winds are hurricane strength. You guys, people actually do these. (laughs) But, you know, I think we know, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, if you consider yourself to be a Christ follower, we know our faith is a marathon. Right? We know we have to fix our eyes ahead and that there will be ups and downs and we just have to press on. But maybe for some of you, that faith, that walk is feeling a little more like an ultra marathon right now. Maybe you've been in the desert. Maybe you feel you've been beaten down by hurricane force winds again and again. You know, I've been there and here's the thing we need to do. Endure. Over the summer, I felt like I had done more than my share of enduring, and I was just, I was about over it. As I shared about my mom, I also had my grandma in hospice. I had kids home all the time. They were home all the time. We were working both at home all the time. You know, we had our foster son in his case kind of growing and him transitioning to his home, which was good, but also just a lot. And let's just say I prayed for God to make me strong a lot. And then there was a prayer meeting that some of us on staff here were a part of, and that host shared a few verses from Habakkuk, which at first I was like, Habakkuk? Who shares from Habakkuk? That's kind of random. But 
He shared these verses from chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And this is a book from the Old Testament. It's basically a prophet who is just, he's trying to understand God's goodness in an evil and unjust world. And these are the verses that he shared. Verse 17, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And you know, a modern translation of that maybe, um, though we have, I have lost my job and I do not have money in the bank account, though the roof is leaking and the car has broken down, though I've received a bad bill of health and, you know, all these things, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And that little three-letter word, That's what endurance is. Even when everything is failing around us, we choose to stay the course, to stay in the race, and to rejoice in the Lord. Now, of course, we can't do that on our own, right? So the fourth thing that Paul tells us to do is to partner, to partner with God. You know, a few verses after that passage that we read this morning, Paul is talking to Timothy about kind of more of the hardships he's faced. He gets pretty personal, telling him, don't trust this guy. He did not do what he said he was going to do. And then he starts telling him this in chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. We see that Paul doesn't rely on himself, and that is good news because we don't have to either. We don't need to do this on our own. You know, Eugene Peterson, who is the um, translated the message, translation of the Bible, says, We survive in the way of faith not because we have extraordinary stamina, but because God is righteous, because God sticks with us. So remember my verses from Habakkuk? Well, there's just a little more to that story. So the next verse, right after, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, verse 19 says this, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And what I realized when that verse, when he read that verse to us, was that I had been praying the wrong prayer. I kept praying for God to make me strong. I wanted him to make me strong enough to handle it, but I still wanted to handle it all on my own. I just wanted him to make me able to do it. But what we see in that verse is that God is my strength. I don't have to be strong. We don't have to be the strong ones. God says he is made perfect in our weakness. And so I saw that You know, life's not about self-help. I can't just make myself stronger. No amount of habit changing or trying to be better or reworking our lives is going to work. And you can believe me because I've tried, and in case you don't know, I really like to be in control. (laughs) But God is righteous, and God sticks with us. And we can finish the race and finish it well only with his help. Let's look one more time at Paul's words here that he said to Timothy. He says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. 
And look at the end there. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. So maybe you feel right now like you've been in the lion's mouth. Or maybe you feel like you're there right now. (laughs) Maybe you've been trying to pry open those jaws on your own strength, trying to claw your way out. And I'm here to tell you, it's not going to work. We cannot escape on our own. We need the Lord to help us. And God wants to help us. He promises to give us his strength if we fully rely on him and surrender our lives to him. If you've never done that before, today's a great day to start that. Because the Lord is standing at your side. And he wants to give you his strength. He wants to help you finish the race. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith and to finish well. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you today, and Lord, whether we know and trust you already or whether we are going to do that for the first time now, God, we confess that we need you. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We have tried And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to unclench our fists of the things we are holding on to. We say to you, Lord, that we are weak, but we know you are strong and that you want to be our strength, the only one that we rely on. So God, help us this week to find the ways we can fight for our faith, to draw near to you who gives us the strength we need to live the life that you have created us for. God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're ready to take your next step of faith, if maybe you're ready to find out more about what is involved in trusting Jesus or how to do that, please text next to that number there at the bottom of your screen or go to communityofhope.church slash next and someone on staff will contact you to help you do that. And now would you stand and receive this benediction? These are Paul's words from 1 Timothy 6.12. May God give you the strength to fight the good fight to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Amen. Have a good week, you guys. We'll see you later.